So I think the weirdest thing about staying at home all the time is that even though we see each other a lot more, we have to almost force ourselves to spend a lot more time apart, too. Yeah, like, uh, I love you, but get away from me. (laughs) More so, I love you, but if I don't use my time for me, will I ever have time for me? I have to... I have to go to another room. Stay here. Don't follow me. I'm probably going to do the exact same thing in here that I would do in there, but I'm just in a different space now. This is me time. You almost have to say, like, the other person is an animal. Like, no, sit, (laughs) stay. stay. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I know that you're working, and I could just work in the same room as you, but I'm going to go over here now. Uh, I've been reading a lot more comics and graphic novels recently. Um, I've been doing uh, a lot more chatting with people uh, to kind of help keeping them encouraged, but um, I've also been doing a lot of uh, staff spinning and learning how to become better acquainted with my bow staff. I brought out the hammock for the first time in the year, and I don't even think I brought it out last year at all. I don't think you did. I don't know if we had time because last year was the year we moved to. I thought that was another year ago. We haven't been in the house for just six months. We've been in the house for a year and six months. We moved in the summer. Right, but not last summer. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure on this one. You see how long we've been here? <laughs> Our minds have turned to mush. It, it's been so long <laughs> at this point, been... folks, that we have forgotten how long we've actually been at our house. I finally busted into the third box of comic books because we have so many that we are just not keeping on top of. <laughs> it's been so long that we've forgotten to like, actually figure out, we have a garage. <laughs> I draw a bunch more. Like, I draw all the time now, and I hadn't for a while. Yeah, like, literally right before this, we go, uh... Uh, I figured out how to get my uh, all these PlayStation uh, uh, PlayStation Plus free games of the month uh, titles onto a external hard drive, and I finally figured out. I go, yeah, let's get them all onto this external hard drive. Oh, by the way, you have to be stuck at home. Okay. Shall we tell them your controversial opinions on the remaster of Final Fantasy VII? Well, I mean, I, I've only played it the once, and <laughs> I don't, I'm, turn-based was fun, uh, but I'm I'm not the biggest fan of turn-based. This new system is different. Um, I don't really care for it, but I'm not necessarily saying it's bad. Um, it just was different. I didn't like that you had to use both characters, but it was still, I, I mean, I was flying through this, because I, I love a hack and slash style, uh, you know, see Kingdom Hearts. I really appreciate the other characters in the room telling you to get a move on because you're in the middle of a time-sensitive operation as you slash through stacks of crates just looking for hidden shinies. Yeah. Like, I was like, I was trying to explore, and then, like, you can't go that way because you have to go this way. And I'm like, don't well, tell I me what I to explore. do. Don't tell me to do video game. I do what I want. I bought you. <laughs> this is my experience. It's like I want to. I want to explore. Let me go on. Let me be open world. Damn it! But uh, yeah, I got to the the boss because this was just the demo. And I think it's it, coming out. It's yeah. If it's not already, someone was gonna get a countdown. I think it comes out the day that this gets released. Actually, yeah. So I think it's almost here. It. A lot of people are super excited. And to be truth be told, even with this demo, 
the graphics are just super gorgeous and it's as beautiful. With, as with most Square Enix games, and he's not right, right, Square Enix? I don't know if Square Enix is doing this one. Square Enix did the Kingdom Hearts games. Well, with Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy, the cutscenes are very, very pretty until they have to show any sort of emotion. And then the whole thing just tumbles down into the uncanny valley for me. They're very good at being beautiful and, and, and not emotional. The minute they have to do something, it's like the face contorts in a weird position. The model wasn't meant to do this. Um, in the older games, this one is a lot better at it. I will give them that. I will, I will, I will go by your indicator. You know more than I of these things. Well, yes, because I'm better at it than you are. But I know more about what we're talking about today than you do. So yes, and before we get into that, do you want to do the plug party? Sure. You can find us on Facebook at Marriage to the Idea Reviews. You can email us at Marriage to the Idea Reviews at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us, we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash marriage to the idea. We have lots of different tiers for you to choose from. Uh, we, especially at this time of year, appreciate any and all <laughs> uh, financial donations. And in order to make it more worthwhile, in addition to our every other marriage to the idea every other week, episode we are now doing weekly recaps of steven universe so if you want to check more about that we're actually going to tell you more about that in the uh sponsor dome at halfway through the episode Jeez, today. spoil it why don't you i know it's such it's so spoiled three episodes in on the exact same channel as our podcast it's i spoiled it is what i did you did i did uh and we are on soundcloud and itunes uh and wait what what do I? I always add something at the beginning. What do I always add? You always say that it is the letters T O, not the number two. I'm I'm certain of that. You always oh, feel I like do that for the 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 sponsor, but I don't do that till the sponsor dome. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, Aaron uh, would say he'd want you to share. Yeah. So uh, this week, um, with our live stream, I was asking everyone Matthew's to share. Spoiling. Um, <laughs> if uh, you guys can uh, share our page uh this um particular episode um you know e even the soundcloud uh our profile that would be really great you know if you haven't already liked our page um if you could do so i'm going to be sharing and then asking everyone to share tomorrow. Well, why don't we why don't we wow them with our brilliance first and then we tell them to share <laughs> well i gotta do it at the top because they may not listen to it all the way oh yeah they only listen for the plugs and then they leave us until the very end of the episode <laughs> oh, yeah i got that fix and i got the plug fix oh, i need no more content necessary exactly uh today we're actually talking uh we're doing a comparison i do love a book versus movie adaptation comparison yeah uh, we we, uh, we need to do more of these we've only done uh, a few of them and you and i are such great lovers of literature that we don't do this enough well, the big ones are harry potter and then i just that's a lot to go back to the well on to eventually tackle. i'm going to convince you to do a harry potter month gosh that hurts it hurts my heart uh so we're talking about miss brisby and the secret of nim uh not to be confused with miss frisbee and the rats of nim they're not to be confused with the secret of nim like there are too many titles and too many changes of character names for me to keep track anymore but uh we are talking about the original book versus the Don Bluth animated movie, which we had never seen before now. No, in fact, I bought this DVD, I think while I was walking through Best Buy, and it was sitting in like a $5 bin uh, as I was walking through 
uh, like the the checkout line. I was like, you know, I've never seen this movie, but I've heard it's really good. And I picked it up. And in all honesty, if I can find this on like Blu-ray or a better edition DVD, I'm going to because if even if there's like a maybe like a little bit of a remaster of it or something like that, or it's been remastered kind of thing, I would. It made like Aaron to very anxious to not have subtitles. Not even that. There, there was no DVD menu. Uh, it went straight it in like hard. a VHS. Yeah, it was a little hard to kind of. Sometimes it's a little hard to see some things, and the audio was a little hard to hear at times. It was a little too soft, um, but that did not distract us from this movie. So. Um, this uh we have we've been recommended this movie uh numerous times it's and one of those 80s dark children classics yeah like dark crystal um uh labyrinth never ending story exactly yeah that kind of mystical uh whimsical but with a very sharp edge to it like people could easily die in this movie people do die in this movie yes and it's very different, honestly, once we get to, like, the twist, the halfway point, the movie kind of diverges a lot from the book, which I wasn't expecting, because for the first half, it sticks to it so tightly, and I'm thinking, okay, so I get it all. But there is this uh, element that is not present at all in the books that is prevalent and super important in the movie. And I guess when we get to the uh, near the end, we'll talk about whether that was for the best or the worst, for the good or the bad. Uh, but let's just start with a brief plot synopsis. Yeah, I figured for this first half, we would just talk about the movie. And then the second half, we would talk more about like the comparison between the two and uh, what you think is better, uh, seeing as you've done that, uh, or you've uh, actually read the book. So, um, yeah, a quick synopsis. Um, uh, Mrs. Brisby uh, is a mother and a widow and is trying to find a, um, a cure for her sick son and uh, meets up with this uh, kind of inventor, uh, mechanic kind of guy. And um, after she meets with him, she also meets another character who helps her uh, save this formula to help her son uh, battle pneumonia, as it turns out. And uh, her and this bird character, who's voiced by Dom DeLuise. Oh, by the way, they're mice. Oh, yeah. Because that was not at all. <laughs> you have to know that they're, they're I, mice through all of this, I, too. I hope that if you've heard of The Secret of Nim, that you know that it's uh, a, a tale about mice. <laughs> so um, uh, this character, Jeremy, uh, the bird, the crow, uh, helps her get home. And she, you know, gets... Uh, uh, the the stuff to her son, her sick son, but she's also told that told that he should not move for the, three weeks, yeah, or else the, the stuff won't take. Yeah, and the problem is that because the frost the frost is just thawed, the farmer is gearing up to start plowing the field right where their house is, and they need to move. So she goes to visit a great owl, who uh, when she when the owl finds out that Miss Brisby is the widow of Jonathan Brisby, says you need to go talk to the rats. And she enters into this mystical underwater, underground uh, sort of denizen for all these rats, uh, but they're intelligent. They've been tested on and escaped their testing facility, and Mrs. Brisby's husband was one of the mice that helped them escape, who made their escape possible. You say Mr. Brisby? Mm -hmm. Okay. So now um, she needs the rats to help her move the block, while at the same time some of the rats think that 
they need to leave and stop stealing electricity from the farmhouse. Some say, no, we can take whatever we want. And behind all that, Nim is lurking, trying to find the rats and exterminate them. It's almost like a a, a very, very subtle uh, subplot. Uh, so then the whole thing kind of comes to a giant head where they're trying to move the house and it's raining and there's sabotage and everything kind of comes to a head. And again, it's so very different the book is such a slice of life sort of these hardships that these animals are going through. They're humanized, but they still have to figure out how to survive in the world, in this harsh, wild world. And then in the movie, it feels like once they pivot from field mice to intelligent rats, that they introduce this whole idea of the mystical, of magic, basically. This this third mysterious element. Um, for me, I really like that the main character of this story is a mom. Not just a mom, a widowed mom, who is doing her very best to make sure that all of her kids are okay and they stay safe and she won't abandon them and doing a bunch of stuff that are super scary just to save her kids and her house all by herself. She um, is highly a um a flawed character but she's she's not flawed where she's like oh i have a dark past and and it might come up in uh in the in in this you know story to haunt me it's more like she is not your typical leading character in this kind of story this this you know magical um you know uh search for things or you know like go to you know you are told to go to A, who, and then um, person at A tells you to go to B, which then leads you to C, which then leads you to D, kind of Indiana Jones, trekking kind of thing. Um, she is not your typical protagonist in this situation. And it's very interesting to see how well thought out of a character she is for this and how well it works in this story. She's not the the young hero with glory thrust upon him or like the, you know, the old veteran that is going in for one last job or any of those kind of situations. Um, she is a mother and she's simply just trying to take care of her children. And, um, it's, uh, you know, it gets scary at times and she cries. Um, she has to face her fears about possibly being eaten by an owl you know, she says multiple times on her way to uh to the owl, owls eat mice. And like they try to like like uh assuade her. It's like, you know, oh only at night, only at night. And it's like it's almost sunset, you know? <laughs> and like she walks she's in She's a practical person. She's very practical, but she's not overly so where it's um it's a flaw. She's practical, but she's practical in a sense that it helps her character. She's very um, logical. She's very um, methodical as well. She keeps things rolling as they need to. Um, you know, she's she's not afraid to let people, you know, explain things to her. And she's not afraid to ask questions. But she's also not afraid to step up and let make things happen. Um, she's a very, very well thought out and well developed character. It was a it was a joy to watch her succeed. And there was multiple times throughout the story where I was like, I was gripping her leg or her arm. I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. 
So it the was, owl scene is particularly terrifying because <sighs> she's literally walking over the bones and skulls of small dead animals that have been here before and this this hole inside this tree is filled with cobwebs and when the owl does appear he turns his head a complete 180 and it's creepy but, but not like uh, around his shoulders like his from, head was upside down yeah. and it turns it right around it's that was so creepy uh, but like and then he's like he's supposed to be the all-wise knowing owl and he's supposed to be helping her and you're like oh my god what's gonna happen <laughs> Because, I mean, it's death is around her constantly. Uh, I do like that even though she gets into, like, she she's allowed to succeed a little bit because just by virtue of being the wife of Jonathan Brisby, in the end, it's her making the choices. She is the one who says, okay, I'll, I'll go see the great owl. And only after she chooses to go see the owl does being the wife of Jonathan Brisby and saying that to owls say, oh, okay, so you are someone I need to help. Here's what you need to do. Go see the rats. When she goes in to see the rats, again, she she figures out a way to get in and walks in herself. And she's still terrified, but she's still trying to do it. And then once again, when she reveals she's the wife of Jonathan Brisby, it was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, we'll, we'll help you out here. And I'm glad that it's not so much that it just opens doors for her automatically because it would be a little bit of taking away of agency from her character. I mean, there's a lot of these stories where just who they are it opens these doors. Yeah, I hate like, chosen one narratives. Yeah, like, you know, oh my god, it's Harry Potter, it's Harry Potter, it's Harry Potter, it's Harry Potter. But the reason the Harry Potter one works is because technically he killed, you know, this big bad, you know, villain. Um, though it wasn't so much that he killed him, but he was the cause of his demise. For me, what I was think made Harry Potter likable isn't that he was the chosen one. It was no, that, for that he for that narrative. It's it's more so like it, it's less of it's how people around him treat him. That's the cause, as opposed to his chosen oneness. It's and they even like play on that in the sixth book. Like he gets does it get to his head, and you realize that no, actually. A number of people could be the chosen ones. Neville can be the chosen one. That was book five because they figure five, out, thank yeah, because um, uh, Dumbledore po- points it out, saying, you know, it could have actually been Neville because his parents also defied him multiple times, and he was born in the same month. Yeah, so the people who react around him are what make him a better person, what ultimately build him into someone who could do that in a way that I think some chosen one narratives just don't do very well. Oh yeah, there are plenty of chosen one narratives. In fact. Um, the sequel to this movie is a chosen one narrative, which does not freaking work. Yeah. Um, but with this one, to me, it felt like more so uh, the name Brisby opened the door out of respect of what Jonathan, her, you know, her husband had done. But he just opened the door. She was the one that walked through it and and then furthered the story along. It was it was less of like oh my god it's the widow uh, she's the one that's supposed to come and save us it's oh like, yeah absolutely not like they weren't even planning on doing anything with the cat uh, further along in the story she's the one that offers like I can do this because she she wanted to help she wanted to step up and help these people who were helping her she wanted to repay them and you I think you could almost tell like uh, Nicodemus knew that was going to happen. I, I don't know. There's like a look on his face. It's like, oh, she's going to turn around in three, two, one. But maybe I had my timing off. 
Oh, there she is. <laughs> like, it's kind of like a Dumbledore-esque kind of look in a way. Like, mm. It's her realizing that there's no one else who can do it. Exactly. Because all the rats are too big, and she's a mouse, so she can actually fit through. And she would definitely not ask anyone else to do it when she... It, it's it's too much to ask someone else, but if someone else, but if someone steps up themselves to do it, they can. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... I liked Mrs. Brisby for a hundred million reasons. And what happens at the end of the movie, I which I kind I don't think we should reveal. I don't know. Um, we may. Well, that I think what we should do is talk about that when we compare it to the book, yeah. because the climax is completely different whole cloth yeah. than the book. So we'll, we'll talk about that uh, after the, the, the sponsor dome. Um, but I liked it because it showed more about her character rather than she was chosen. Mm-hmm. So she has agency in her story. Exactly, she has so much agency in the story. Um, and I did like a lot of the side characters. Nicodemus wasn't so much Dumbledore, like, mm-hmm-hmm, or even Gandalf, like, I know more than you, and I'm gonna hold it over your head. It was he was he was a prophet, but he was also the leader, and he kind of was like, you know, like. I, we're going to be doing this. You can join in if you want, but w- and we will help you kind of thing. Um, no stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk about some uh, Don Bluth animation mannerisms that happen in every <sighs> single one of his movies? The creepy glowing eyes. Oh, those creepy glowing eyes. I he ha- does a great job with that. I have a, I have a theory. Um, I know what you're thinking of, and yes, I think it too. Not th- nothing confirmed, but I think you are accurate. Well, I have more than it's more than just one reason. But what what do you think? What do you think I'm thinking right now? Um, so Nicodemus is this old wise rat who is implied to have some sort of magical or prophetical abilities, um, and when we finally see him, um, his eyes glow. They don't have pupils; they're just glowing eyes. Um, the only other character who we see with these glowing pupilless eyes is the great owl. And Nicodemus kind of tells Mrs. Brisby through like a vision, through like a dream that she needs to go see the great owl. That's where she needs to go. And I thought it's... Jeremy was the one that told her to go see yeah, the great so owl. Yeah, so it's not, it's not implied that Nicodemus like talks to her in her head. It's more that Nicodemus is saying, this is the next step. I hope you go do it very much like I hope you're, I hope the, forces of nature propel you that way because that's what you need to go do you need to go see the great owl and then the great owl knows about the rats in nicodemus it has this feeling like the great owl and nicodemus are like not of this world that they are like a, a second class like they're magic users they're they're more all-seeing all-knowing more prophetic and that's why they have these giant glowing eyes i don't think they're the same person but i think that's kind of like a demarcation of a different level of being i don't know i and i don't think yeah i don't think they're the same person because the great owl would have recognized that she was mrs brisby and he would have helped her from the get-go but until he hears the name brisby he doesn't like he's like i that you must move and now you must go and then that's it until he hears the name brisby um or jonathan he doesn't really like offer any other solution um but there's other reasons why I, I don't think again I don't think they're the same person but there's some sort of weird connection there because beyond the glowing eyes both Nicodemus and the Great Owl have a long um 
Oh, their beard? Well, not the even long, the beard. The, the mustache. Fu Manchu uh, mustache. They're both uneven in the same way. I know. I saw that, too. Um, they both are older and kind of like have like the the hollowed out hands with the like really big knuckles. Yeah, I feel like the animators purposely, purposely made a comparison visually to these two creatures. And I'm un I'm unsure why because it I'm it could be either a they're supposed to be like shared of the same consciousness and that or like Nicodemus like this is his familiar is the great owl or vice versa or that the great owl and him share some sort of higher understanding or some sort of higher power you know there's some other deeper connection because of the visuals why else would they look so similar i know it's very very similar so i feel like they're playing with that a little bit it's intentional um and there's some other side characters like martin was kind of a fun character that um, kind of get shit on in the sequel, but uh, he he's still a fun character. That there was definitely some goo goo eyes getting made uh, at one point between him and Mrs. Brisby. With Martin, I don't think you mean not Martin. Martin. That's her son. I'm pretty sure you mean Jeremy the crow. Not Jeremy, no. The oh, Captain, Justin. Justin, the captain Justin. of yeah, not not her son, and definitely not the crow. Yeah, Justin, the captain of the guard. Yeah, he's a he's very uh, debonair. <laughs> yeah, kind of little suave, but not at the same time. It's kind of cute. A little suave, yeah. Um, I I didn't think I was gonna like Nicodemus because whenever would see things uh, about this movie, like he always looked like the villain to me. Um. And of course, whenever the villain actually appears, it's like, oh no, he's the villain. Yeah, Dabu doesn't do subtle villains well. No. <laughs> like him and uh, uh, what's his face from the Pebble and the Penguin, very obvious villains. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, I did like a lot of the side characters. The main care or the main villain was very two dimensional, which I don't think Don Bluth knows how to make a three dimensional villain because the villains are usually like i have a plan and i'm gonna follow it (laughs) yeah jenner has a different role within the book and i i think i like it a little bit better than they do in the movie i get having a bad guy but for me the story is more about just the struggle of man or in this case animal versus nature these things must will happen and so you must do something to stop them because you know time will not stop for you you've got to figure out how to make things work with what you've got and there really wasn't a villain in the book Uh, honestly nim was the villain in the book this institute this secret society that's been uh taking these street rats and turning them into thinking feeling things i feel like if you had something Instead of having just Jenner be a villain, why not have Nim be the the presence there that like they're trying to escape from, mm-hmm. and then like this council who believe that you know maybe they should stay and then maybe they should go. There's like conflicting interests in there. You know, Jenner could be you know someone who's like slimy or something like that, but I I don't feel like he has to be the villain where he does what he does and. For his hubris, it would be enough for him to be proven wrong. And, like, the movie goes out of its way to do it because Jenner says, we don't need to leave. We can keep stealing the farmer's stuff. It doesn't matter. It's dangerous out there. Let's just stay here. We're fine. 
And then when Miss Frisbee is captured by the farmer's son, she overhears Nim on the phone saying, yeah, we're going to come take care of that rose bush tomorrow and we'll exterminate those rats for you. Meaning that they can't stay, even if they wanted to. It's not safe anymore. So I think it would have been enough to be proven wrong by his own hubris for her to come back and be like, no, listen, it's it doesn't matter if you want to stay or not. They are coming. You can't stop this. You have to leave. And I was like, it felt a little too familiar, but not too familiar. It felt a little too coincidental that she happened to be in the right place at the right time to overhear that. I think it's important because it keeps her involved in the story. She manages to drug Dragon, but she still gets captured. Um, and then she is the one who hears this crucial, pivotal piece of information, and she has to get out and escape and tell them all because this is really important. And it's, I, th- I think it keeps her relevant to the B-plot. Like you're talking about this, this subplot of Nim. I think it keeps her relevant to that. If she hears that, then she can go talk about it. Yeah. It's just, it, it, it felt a little bit like whenever someone turns on a TV in a movie, it just happens to be on the news and it just happens to play the right news story that they need. It, it's, it's just what it kind of felt like. I mean, don't get me wrong. Does it detract from the movie? No. It's just, that's what it kind of felt like. It's a, it's a little bit like, Click. Oh, I, and in other news, we have a, a spotting of the serial killer that's been loose in the neighborhood of this blah, blah, blah. That's this neighborhood. And he was last seen on this street. That's this street. And he was looking at this house. That's this house. He was looking in this window. That's the window right next to me. <laughs> well, it's a good thing this isn't a horror movie. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. That's just that's just a very um, stereotypical trope that a lot of movies use. Um, ah, she's in that cage for hours. <laughs> she was, and we don't really. I mean, we don't need to see the passage of. I mean, we kind of do see the passage of time, but we don't really see the passage of time. Um, and it just was like she just happens to overhear this conversation. So, I it, think more coincidental in the movie is that Nim somehow just happens to know that this rat colony and this one farmer's rose bush must be the rat colony. I think the book does a nicer job of that, and it ties into Jenner's storyline too. Yeah, that's I I agree that the that that is a little much at the same time, but but what other if the farmer is like losing electricity or is like his electricity bill is a little high, <laughs> like it's those damn rats. How you know? much electricity can a rat colony use? That's that's a very interesting. Like I want to see the. Like with if they could kind of give like an estimate, like how much are they actually using? When you're looking at your bill and it's just like it's like fifteen dollars off, and you don't know why, it's the rats. <laughs> when in doubt, blame the rats. <laughs> uh, but I was uh, I was still I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. The visuals on a lot of these things, mm-hmm. Jeremy kind of got a little annoying at times. Uh, Dom DeLuise needs to be put in check a little bit more. I love Dom DeLuise. Let me say that first and foremost. Love Dom DeLuise. He can get a little annoying at times. Yeah, um, he was definitely, Miss Brisby had the patience of a saint dealing with him. Oh my God. Well, yeah, because she has Martin. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiled brat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that scene with Mrs. Shrew. Like, I do love Auntie Shrew because I, she was getting painted as a one-dimensional, just busybody, and then she freaking risks her life to help Miss Brisby. Like straight up, goes up there when she can't and disables the tractor. 
that was uh that was really cool and then she like even it was more of like a like a British World War Two, you know, keep a step up a lip, you know, kind of yeah. situation. But get going, we gotta go. Like you can't just stay here. Let's move. Let's move. Well, like when she starts breaking down and crying is what I was more so meaning. But yeah, like still. slap her upside the face. Like come on. <laughs> I uh, hmm. yeah, I'm a uh, I, I. She grew on me after that point, but even still, was like you know, they can't. She can't go see those. Pertinent rats stealing from us those barbarians. <laughs> I, uh, I, I didn't dislike her at the end, but I certainly didn't like her. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't like her at the, I definitely didn't like her at the beginning, <laughs> but it was a funny scene regardless. So, um, yeah, little Will Wheaton as, uh, Martin. I know. How crazy was that? Shut up, Wesley. <laughs> so, um, I, uh, but overall, I loved the movie. I thought, like, it it was exciting, but it was slow. It had moment. It took moments to breathe, but there was times when you couldn't breathe with how just intense it was. Um, just overall, I I thoroughly enjoyed the movie, and I'm glad that we finally sat down and watched it. Yeah, you know, me too. Um, so I I mean. Any other final thoughts on just the movie by itself? I mean, we're we're about to jump into the sponsor dome, so. Yeah, I thought the movie was animated really well, and I thought that the story was really good, and the characters were all compelling. Um, it's it's land before time esque in the way that it makes you like care about your characters, and I really appreciate that that this is the story that they decided to adapt, and that even though they changed some things. The core of the story, which is Mrs. Brisby's tenacity, no matter what her name is, is intact and that her agency continues and that this really unique character of a mom and a widow just taking care of her own through her simple courage is what is preserved. Um, I do want to kind of leave everyone on this kind of note. This was actually the first film that Don Bluth did after leaving Disney. Yeah. Which is kind of an interesting, um, and because it kept getting rejected for being too dark. And it was dark, but Disney could get dark too. Not obviously this dark. Um, and Land Land Before Time later on would, you know, continue this. Land Before Time is more like viscerally terrifying, just with these, the giant sharp tooth and yeah. the, the hugeness versus the smallness. I. I am going to say it. It's my favorite of all of his Don Bluth movies. I liked it more than Land Before Time. I liked it more than American Tale. I have not watched American Tale in years. Like, I don't know. I know I've watched it more than once, but it has been a long time. And I know he didn't do Five Goes West, so I can't include that. Or else I'd probably say Five Goes West, West for a couple different reasons. Um, But... The thing is, is I'd have to look at his entire body of work, and Don. I mean, Anastasia's in there too. Still better than Anastasia. I, I like the music from Anastasia. I think it's fun. There's just there's certain certain corners cut. Don Bluth doing a, a princess story is weird. It's not his forte. B- Bartok the bat, as as funny as he is, is this weird and comedic hi-ya, and a hua, and then I kick her, sir. And how Anastasia's hair just can't maintain a consistent length throughout this entire gosh darn movie no <laughs> she got extensions that's what yeah that was what it was in russia <laughs> and why why do people in russia have american accents so many good questions <laughs> but um 
uh, see again i have to look at his entire body of work but this definitely if it's not the top one it's definitely top three because it was it was well done well written well animated so just and you it doesn't know, seem like it's tailor-made for kitty kitties like in a way the american tale and lemon for time even though they're dark they seem they like dark. for kids <laughs> Um, land, land Before Time is, I would feel, more so for kids. Uh, an American Tale is a little bit kind of mid-range. This is more all around, um, whereas the other two kind of step up to there. Like, you know, uh, step one, step two, and then this is step three. Um, you know, at least it's not as bad as a troll in Central Park. <laughs> and I say that with having been a fan in the past of a troll in Central Park, and then I have re- rewatched it, uh, released reviews of it. My God. Pandering, pandering, pandering. Oh, God. There's just so much filler. So much fluff. Like, I, my guilty pleasure is Thumbelina, and there is a lot of bad in Thumbelina. I have never in my life seen Aww. Thumbelina. Oh, it's definitely not number one because it's not as good as this movie. But Titan AE might be my number two or number three. Now, I've never seen Titan AE. Titan AE is kind of like the emo older brother. Here we go. So we've watched this together. Both of us have never seen it. We'll watch Thumbelina because you've never seen it. And mm-hmm. we'll watch Titan AE because I've never seen it. And now it's Don Bluth month. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, just, we'll just have a Don Bluth. We'll just, we'll just do Don we, Bluth quarantine. Now you know that we will be doing more Don Bluth episodes in the future because I that's my movie and that one's yours and we have not seen the others. I love Titan AE and I, and I don't love it for the right reasons. <laughs> and it's the problem. When you watch the Molina, you'll see that the main boy is directly instantaneously recognizable as the prince in Thumbelina. Like, it's the same character. They just color palette swapped him. Like, For what? Like, the, the boy with the long front hair and Oh, uh, in Anastasia? No. Oh, yeah. So, sorry. I'm sorry. Don Bluth draws every man the same way. Yes, I forgot Titan about that. Yes, <laughs> uh, Thumbelina, and uh, uh, Anastasia. Yes, all three of his, all those guys look the same. Because even Anastasia and Thumbelina look, this, look very yes. similar. It's true. It's true. But, I mean, his kid characters can all look the same. And yeah. It's it's just, it happens. So, um, <laughs> Never styles. We'll, we'll, we'll forgive him a lot. So, um, but, uh, you know, I guess if they ever do release, uh, not Dragon Age, or is it Dragon Age? Because um, it's the Space space Ace and Dragon Age, or not, dra- not Dragon Age, but the Dragon's Lair. Oh, yeah, the Dragon's Lair movie. Yeah, if they ever released that and the you know Space Ace and everything like that, that th- those might actually be like our favorites because those are really cool. Yeah, they're very cool. Um, but I um, I love this work and uh, his his stuff is so cool. And I can tell you one that definitely isn't. And I want like my kid. I've already hurt my childhood or the, my inner child by saying Troll in Central Park, isn't it? Rocket Digital Do is definitely not it either. You saw that. I loved it as a kid. Aww. I had the VHS copy, and I loved it. I am so... You know, that's the thing. We will talk about this, and then we'll go into the sponsor dome. Rock-a-doo! We'll talk, Rock-a-doo! This is important oh, because man. there are some children's entertainment that you watch when you're a kid, and when you get older, you say to yourself, how in the world did I ever enjoy this? Because this is clearly meant for just me as I was then not now and it's such an important part of your development but it gets completely rejected by you later like i'm trying to think of like movies that formed me 
and I I guess I've been just extremely lucky. Like uh, Disney movies, obs, but like uh, the Iron Giant. That was like my favorite when I was a kid, and I, watching it now, it's still, still very good. Well, I did like Iron. I mean, there's still a, there's a lot of that. I'm stuff I'm trying to when think of. I mean, a goofy I movie I watched when I was a kid, and that's a great movie. Yeah. Like, don't you go shit. I didn't. On I didn't. But there's, I, I know you weren't. But don't you go no shit. But on it's on so nothing. interesting. Like something like the Secret of Nim can be applicable across such a broad range. And it's always so interesting to me that there's content made that is specifically targeted to one and not allowed to breach beyond that. And I guess that makes sense. I mean, I, I mean, I imagine it must be much harder to make something that appeals to a, a wide range of ages. Easier just to pinpoint your three-year-olds or your ten-year-olds instead of trying to say you'll like this as much as you did as you, when you were eight as you do now that you're 18 or 28 or 58. Well, that's what every kid's movie wants to do. They yeah. want to appeal. I mean, unless they're like the Care Bear movies or, you know, all of this stuff that really just want to appeal to the lowest demographic. But when you have these movies that really can be applied across the board, it's not often because... It's it's astounding to have those kind of movies that yeah that everybody can enjoy. So we should be thankful for the ones we have. Yes, absolutely, and the ones that keep coming. Like, um, I, I don't think we're gonna do an official review right now, but Onward, Onward was amazing. I don't know if it's so much more so for little kids. I think it's more for kind of older kids and teens. Uh, Onward but, hit me in a totally different way than it hit other people not like i'm perfect no i mean it's hitting everyone differently in different ways depending on what you've lost in your life yeah like i i didn't i've not yeah yeah because uh a friend of the podcast jonathan uh loved the movie but it hit him in a way it got him emotional he does not get emotional no he never gets emotional about that so maybe we'll maybe we'll do an official one with him so um (laughs) The complex feels and all that. Exactly. So, uh, but it is, it's very interesting to see when movies like this, I mean, Land Before Time is still one that's remembered pretty fondly. Uh, but when you have like this and Beauty and the Beast and Iron Giant and, you know, stuff like that, that are really well remembered and stand the test of time. They're classic entertainment as opposed to classic kids entertainment. Yeah, exactly. Because when you have classic kids entertainment, that kids kind of degrades it a little bit. So, all right. So you ready to go into the sponsor doom? Two sponsors enter. One sponsor leaves. We might need to like make a sample track of that or something. <laughs> Absolutely like... not. I am not doing any more editing now that you've made it so simple. <laughs> <laughs> it's like two sponsors enter. Two spot one sponsor leaves. Ah, dang it! I was gonna just t- cut that out and use it from now on, but you couldn't even get a clear take on that. Of course not. I'm not I'm not one take Johnny or anything. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, no. I never call you that. Uh, our <sighs> challenger today is actually we're playing a bit of favorites. Our challenger today is our other just podcast. A just a little bit is our other podcast. Keep, uh, keep Beach City quarantined. So uh, unlike Married to the Idea, Keep Beach City quarantined is every week instead of every other week. And uh, instead of just for as long as we can do it, as long as we can do it. Yeah. And instead of being uh, released after we record, after I've cleaned it up and everything, we actually record it live on our Facebook page, Married to the Idea. So the cool thing about it is that you, the listener, can be a part of it. 
Uh, it is a chill appreciation fan cast of us coming back to a show that we always wanted to finish but never did, Steven Universe. And every episode of the podcast, we go through a chunk of episodes. For the first season, we're going uh, 10 episodes at a time. So we are uh, next week sitting down to record episodes 21 through 30. Nope. 31 through 40. We just did. We literally just did 21 through 30. Uh, she's pulling out her phone to double check me, even though I'm 100% right. The one we just uploaded was... So. Oh, okay. T- I understand you- now. Okay, so... Yeah. We have just, that's why it's so hard. See, normally I give myself two weeks. Uh, So yeah, we just talked about episodes 21 through 30. If you uh, didn't catch that, we upload the podcast then the following week onto SoundCloud iTunes so you can still listen along. But if you want to be a part of the live recording, Tuesdays at 5 o'clock, we set up, we put up the live stream, and we just go. So if you want to catch up and start listening with us and offer your opinions or questions, uh, because we never finished the show, we don't do spoilers except for the episodes that we're actually talking about because we don't really know where the end of this all is. We stopped, again, halfway through the show, so we don't know everything. We know I wouldn't even say like halfway through the show. Well, I mean, I, I'm, hard I'm, to say, but I think there's about four or five seasons, but we definitely stopped after season two or season three. Whenever um, Hulu stopped carrying it, that was when we... For that particular point, because they have to do certain things, and so does Disney+, Plus, but... Um, <laughs> It's they have to they can't release the full season until a few months after the season has ended. So, so like, we're way behind. We're, we haven't seen the movie. We God no. Haven't seen the final season or the last two final seasons. So what we uh, hope that you guys will enjoy doing is if you are Steven Universe appreciators or if you're finding yourself with a bunch more time and need a new really good children's animation program that leaps beyond the moniker of children's animation and ascends into something really great like Gravity Falls, like Avatar, The Last Airbender, uh, then we hope you'll join us. Uh, Once again, we record Tuesday nights at 5 o'clock, and our next episode will be talking about episodes 31 through 40, as my lovely co-host has let me know. So if For the you live stream, catch... the, uh, the recorded one will be the, the 21 Yeah, on Tuesdays, we release the previous week's episode uh, edited down on iTunes and SoundCloud, and then we record the next one. So if you want to catch up, just check out Married to the Idea, and you'll see our new episodes called Keep Beach City Quarantined and what episodes we discuss in each episode of the podcast so you can catch up and follow along. Our other pod... Or not podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only two for now. <laughs> only pod... Uh, we only do the two. Uh, our other uh, sponsor is uh, Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash idea and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title free, and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash idea to get started today. And remember that it's T-O, not T-W-O, or the number two. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, audio, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. Um, they're actually, I think they just dropped one, if I'm not mistaken, with Paul Appel, Paul Rudd, um, Jack McBrayer, and someone else as like a like full comedy series, but it's just audio, and I'm so looking forward to it. Um, I think it's Audible. Um, 
But the one that we are fully recommending today is, uh, of course, the namesake, uh, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. Yeah, they changed it to Mrs. Frisbee for the movie because they didn't want to consider a lawsuit with the makers of Frisbees. Which is whammo. <laughs> I am not kidding. No, I know. Thought you were going to keep going, but okay. No, that was it. I was just going to tell you that that's why it's there. Okay. So, that's uh, why the name change wasn't anything but corporate influence. Uh, so this uh, version is only about six hours and 13 minutes, uh, and it is narrated by Barbara Cursuo, uh, not anyone that we would know off the top of our heads, unfortunately. Uh, and it is written by Robert O'Brien. In the synopsis of this is, uh, the delightfully imaginative tale is always a popular favor among children. Mrs. Frisbee, a field mouse who lives in a garden, must move her family before the farmer begins plowing. Will the rats of Nim, a group of highly intelligent laboratory rats, help her to find a solution to her dilemma? So, um, we obviously would recommend reading the book and as much as we would recommend watching the movie as well especially during this time of you know quarantine so <laughs> now's the time to catch up on all those audible books yeah but um you can get that for free uh if you go to audibletrial.com slash married to the idea where you can get a title f or excuse me can you can get that title for free um <clears throat> Excuse me. You can get that for free um, when you sign up for a 30-day trial membership. Remember that is Married to the Idea or audibletrial.com slash Married to the Idea. Can you tell that I haven't done this in a while? It has been a really long time since you've done this one. <laughs> you got to get back into the groove of things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, yes. And it is It is for Audible. Um, it's Paul Rudd, Jack McRae, Amber Ruffin, Paula Pell, lead cast of audible comedy escape from virtual island so that i sound fun yeah it's a scripted audible original comedy series from snl vet john lutz and lauren michaels comedy sorry broadway video um jane krukowski seth myers jason sadekis sadekis keenan thompson olivia wilde and henry winkler round out the ensemble cast it has already premiered uh, on April second. Uh, it sounds it, like a podcast, but it's an audible. It's um, it's a uh, it's an original audio program. So, and then there's a full on thing, but I'm not going to do that because I want you to go and get that free audible. Oh man, free <laughs> audible trial, and where you can get that uh, get started. So. <clears throat> Do you want to talk about comparisons now? Sure. <laughs> Something else you are equally unqualified to discuss. <laughs> Completely. All right. So, Miss Frisbee and the Rats of Nim comes out in 1971. This book was inspired by research done on mouse and rat dynamics that the National Institute of Mental Health did in the 40s till the 60s. So basically, the author used this idea of how rats and mice could become more intelligent and just kept expanding upon it where they did become as intelligent as people. Was uh, one of them happened to be named Algernon? Uh, no, but I know one of them was called The Brain. 
And that's the end of the podcast. I hope you guys have a great night, and we'll never upload another episode. You thought Bye. I couldn't pull another smart mouse out of my ass, but I did. I had one locked and loaded and ready for you. I was referencing a beautiful short story, and you pulled Pinky and the Brain out of your ass. Come on. Equally relevant in this conversation. I will still agree. <laughs> Uh, so Robert C. O'Brien does the research on these mice and these rats research. And he's like, okay, so what if I can make this a parallel? Uh, this subplot, Aaron, that you discuss about how the rats leaving or staying is kind of a subplot in the movie, I would say that it's kind of the the underlying ethos that O'Brien's trying to get across. The whole point of the rat society is will they become self-sustaining or will they continue to take from others? And it's implied that it would it is better to survive by the sweat of one's own brow than to steal like rats. To not this very basic act of stealing is their rat-like nature rebelling against the idea that they could be more. And so I think there's a really good parallel in there. Uh, and it's a nice undercurrent to Mrs. Brisby, who does achieve things by the sweat of her brow, who makes things happen because she has to make things happen to save her kid. All the time. All the time. Uh, so she works really hard. And not that she, like, inspires the rats or anything, but it's more like the author is letting us know that this is the more noble pursuit to be self-reliant, self-sufficient, uh, but also that um, helping others in your community is the important thing to do. So to help your community survive together is a really good thing. Hmm. Is it a little communist? Maybe. Who's to say? Uh, let's move on. Coach uh, <laughs> communist. Uh, so we talk about how the villain Jenner is like a traditional Don Bluth villain. He wants to be. Don't in... make me laugh. <laughs> he wants to be in control because he's tired of listening to old Nicodemus and he wants to be in charge of this colony. And it's better just to stay. Why change? We've got everything we read here. There's no reason to grow or progress or move forward. We're fine. It's fine. So he sabotages the movement of the Brisby house uh, as a means to an end by sabotaging it. He can kill Nicodemus. And that was his big plan. It doesn't matter to him whether the kids die or not. Uh, Yeah. So Nicodemus dies Um, in the book. I think it has a much less of a evil versus good uh, idea. And I think it's because there isn't a mystical element in the book. And I think when you throw in magic, you kind of need to have a good versus evil motif because yeah. it helps show what you should use your powers for. One thing they never explained is why Jenner wanted the the amulet in the movie. Yeah, it's because it's not in the book. So they had to like think of a reason. It's just they, magic. They, it's just powerful. They never explained. Like, I mean, like what they she ends up being able to do with the amulet is really cool. But they never explain why Jenner would want the amulet because it's not like he would be able to use it. Not that I can tell. Yeah, it's the amulet, as far as we can see, is powered by someone with a pure heart who has great courage. That's that's how the amulet works. We can beat him with a power of friendship. But I feel like when you look at the story of Nim, where these rats were altered so heavily that they became like humans and used that to create scientific discoveries and a whole underground society, I feel like the introduction of magic weakens the rat's plot while strengthening Mrs. Brisby's plot. If they're intelligent and they have science, they don't need magic. If they had magic, they wouldn't have bothered to do science because they had magic, you see. 
Mrs. Brisbane doesn't have science at all. Like her husband was even teaching her how to read. And so it's now shown that unintelligent animals don't read, but she had learned some. Yeah, she like she was reading the book and it was very like the dog ran over to the cat. It, yeah. I mean learning when someone's learning how to read they have to take their time to you know actually read what is in front of them yeah i almost thought that maybe the amulet was perhaps like an heirloom the way that nicodemus talked about it in the beginning it seemed like this was jonathan's amulet yeah that's what i was getting to yeah and um it would have been interesting perhaps if it was just mrs brisby's courage and that the amulet wasn't actually anything at all very much like you open the scroll and it's just a mirror and there isn't actually the power to make you the ultimate warrior inside. You are the ultimate warrior all along. Very <laughs> Kung Fu Panda-esque. And definitely not, you know, Hulk Hogan or anything. Absolutely not. Uh, so, I don't know. Like, I, I like the movie, but I feel like... Um, okay, so, so Jenner is a bad guy in the movie. In the book, when Mrs. Brisby goes to talk to the rats, the rats tell her that, hey, yeah, we're thinking about moving out of this rose bush. We're tired of stealing everything from the farmer. It's time to make our own living. Some of the rats didn't agree with us, and they were led by Jenner. But they ran off to go do their own things. They didn't agree with what we were doing, so they left. It is revealed, then, that the reason Nim even knows that the rats are here is because they... Uh, respond to a break-in at a hardware store and they see a group of rats electrocuted trying to steal a car battery. And it is implied that that is Jenner and the other rats who are trying to, once again, steal to make their own way. And by doing that, they died for it. So trying to steal led to their downfall and reveals why Nim would then realize, oh, a bunch of... So anyone else would look like, oh, it's just rats. But Nim's like, oh, those are our intelligent rats. They must be nearby. And that's how they figured out that they were in the farmer's land because it was nearby and they worked out power of deduction sort of way. <laughs> My God, they're learning. Not the rats, but, you know, the... Nim. Humans. <laughs> <laughs> the humans, they're learning. Uh, they know too much. <laughs> so I... Mm. It kind of talks about the power like of this concept that being self-sufficient and reliant is the most important and that stealing will only get you so far. If you try too much, you could die for it. And again, it's a difference between a book where you don't have to have a bad guy versus a movie where a bad guy is a bit more easily readable again because magic is in this one and not in the original i must reiterate there is no magic at all in the book period end of story yeah this one with the movie it, it almost mixes science and magic and the unknown together but at the same time it only really has magic at the end and it's really tough because, I, I mean, there are little glimpses of what could be considered magic beforehand, like with Nicodemus, like predicting that she's going to come or like seeing her travels and stuff like that. So I understand, you know, that the magic elements are coming out of nowhere. I kind of like the integration. I wish the science and the magic were a little bit more integrated. Like maybe they figured out how to use magic because of science. Yeah. I think if they are trying to say that, I think it could be said a bit better. I like the idea of that, that what you call, what your ancestors call magic 
and you call science are one and the same. Very Thor. Not even so much. Like, not even like they're the same thing where, you know, they're the same thing. And we call it science because we can see electricity and do this and that um, versus where the magic. um, Like if we get so far with science, eventually it will be pretty much magic at a certain point. It's more so um, like with um, uh, onward, like how science put an end to magic what if it was kind of the opposite whereas when they um made the rats more intelligent and more and smarter they discovered magic within you know blah 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 this amulet they discovered this amulet or they discovered this stone that had magic and the science that was a because they're smarter and b um because they were more intelligent they were able to use equations and stuff like that to help unlock further secrets within the science kind of like an alchemy-esque view of the science itself like breaking the science down to the base roots of it yeah like how long has the amulet been around why was it jonathan's to give to his wife yeah that that never made sense and if the amulet's been around long enough that Jenner desires it, what has the amulet done before this to be recognized as a powerful artifact? And if it's not Jonathan's to give to his wife, then why does Nicodemus give it to Mrs. Brisby? There's, there's all these little things. And I get that magic, the thing about it is you don't have to quantify it. It can just be and exist. But I'm kind of wondering if you're going to change it so much that maybe Jonathan's like heart or consciousness his sacrifice is what powered the amulet, and the amulet came to exist because of that. It was just something that he wore, but because of his sacrifice, it became infused with something, and then that's why it helped Mrs. Brisby save her children in the house. There's just it's it's There's, it's something else. It's something extra. They're they're tiptoeing around what it could be if it was that little bit extra, that that little bit more of an effort to integrate these two stories because right now it is just kind of taking what this story was and saying, okay, that's really cool. We're going to introduce magic into it. Okay. That's cool and everything, but you still need to kind of, you know, show your work a little bit more. You know, it's really cool that you got to that point, but show your path, you know? Yeah, if it was like all mice or all animals had some some knowledge of magic but not enough to actually do anything and the rats were the only ones smart enough to actually figure it out, maybe that would be it. But it doesn't seem to be that way at all. It yeah, like, to be entirely third ever, entity. Yeah, like because, um, oh, oh, what did I just read or what did I just um, see? It's like, so, like there are some people that can do very low levels of magic. But once you get to a certain level, you can do more magic. You can do more with magic. It's, um, you know, as you become better with magic, it, you already can do more. So maybe like all the, you know, like they say like, oh, that's why we do this because to help with the magical flow of everything or, you know, but there's ways to do it and still be based in reality or based with scientific fact. And I feel like scientific fact, not grammarly fact. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, there's something very profoundly nice. It's it's kind of like stitching curse words in needlepoint. There's something so fun about fucking up a smart word that's meant to describe smart things. <laughs> scientific fact, um, but it's it's one of those things. It's like I think that 
these two things can be interwoven. Like Thor just kind of like wrote it off like, oh, you know, it like we can't explain this in a science fiction thing. Quantum, you know. Quantum, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I appreciate that it's a bit more vague. You know, I, I appreciate it. And if it's not completely integrated, it's probably because they were not basing it off anything that had been written before, so they had to kind of figure out how to weave it in on their own without a lot of base work already done. Yeah, I'm I'm can it would have been nice to have seen that a little bit more. Is it a hundred percent necessary? No. It it's we're we're picking at very small seams right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel bad about doing that. It honestly the only reason it really stands out to me is because it's a completely brand new element that has an effect on characters and plot and story and setting so much that wasn't at all present in the original. And if you're going to do that, there needs to be a very good reason why. Yeah. And there's a um there's a lot in this movie that like you want to try to over explain but the vagueness that comes with everything else just works well in its favor. You know, like, why do they live in this field and not maybe outside of the field? Why do they, you know, only wait until the frost has left, you know, to, well, that's because it's too cold for them to move. Yeah. Um. You know, why don't they not move underground instead, you know? Well, they've got a summer home. They just can't move. They, they, they just cannot move Timmy. Just can't move him. He has to stay still and and, reco- and recuperate. Well, I, I I get that. It's more so like you know, it, it felt like they had to be up on the surface. Why couldn't they do it below level? But there was also the most important and pressing um pressing question: Why weren't the bunnies or any of the other animals wearing clothes? Why was it only the field mice, the shrew, and the rats? Because they're main characters. Only main characters get to wear clothes. Explain, Don. Explain. <laughs> so that that was something that kind of uh, bugged me a little bit. Also, Jeremy never has girl problems and never meets a, a lady crow who's just as clumsy as he is. It's So, yeah, I guess that character wasn't really useful. Uh, give him a girlfriend. <laughs> now, Keith. Now, Keith. Yeah, and they definitely threw her away at the end, of, or in the uh, sequel. Yeah. So, um... Kind of final thoughts. What you know, comparison. Well, what about all your good trivia's? Well, um, there are some really good trivia's. Uh, you know, um, Mrs. Brisby doesn't actually officially ever have a name in the movie. Nope. Um, so uh, the fans have kind of dubbed her Elizabeth after her um, voice actress. That's cool. Mrs. Frisby doesn't have a name in the book either, besides Mrs. Frisby. Ah. So I like that. I'll take Elizabeth. Um. This is actually Don Blue's favorite of his own movies. Called it. It's very good. It's very, very good. Yeah, and it's it's not hard to see that. Um, I've got a funny piece of trivia. It's only one of three Don Bluth movies to not be a musical. There's a song, but it's not a musical. Yeah, you forgot there was a song. She's taking care of Timmy, and there's a song happening. And it's implied that she's singing it, but she's not actually singing it. Oh, that's just that's just that's a score or uh, over. But overtone. she, but there's there's voices singing in it. Yeah, 
Okay, just because you have a pop song playing over word, over the characters doesn't mean it's a musical. Yeah, agreed. For it to be a musical, the characters have to be singing it. Even if it's like a lullaby of someone being singing, it doesn't consider it a musical. Yeah, I'm curious why they didn't do that because the song is directly referencing the things that are happening and was written for the movie. At that point, you could have just had her sing it and it wouldn't have been weird. But again, um, my funny piece of trivia, and it's a year old, so it may not be accurate anymore, but uh, last year, actually pretty much on the exact same day in 2019, it was announced that uh, the executive producers of the remake of Miss Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, a live action slash animated film that MG, uh, MGM required the rights to, would be produced by the Russo brothers. Because sure. Because uh, uh, why not? Uh, Cause that's what we need, guys. We need another adaptation of a beloved childhood classic. Um, and please make it scary cats type fur CGI. Please do that. Make sure the human characters are all. Make sure it's all mocap. Make sure the textures are off and the sizing is weird. And please do. Um, I'm I'm just can't. I'm just now imagining if Don Bluth had been making movies. Or if uh, at the time that the Tale of Despero came out, and what a great, great adaptation that would have been. As long as he had better voice actors than Matthew Broderick. And Again, Emma yeah. Watson. Just so, just make sure Tale of Despero was... comes about twenty years earlier out, and yeah, that would just be so very, very good. John was like king of mice for a while. Like he was, like it's always mice. You think he did that, and that's why he did American Tale later? <laughs> I did mice real good, guys. Watch, I'm gonna do it again. I'm gonna. I'm... I'm going to do a movie with a mouse. I want to see me do it again. <laughs> I That just seems really weird. I don't think that's a good idea. Again, you're old, so it may not be accurate anymore. But as with most adaptations... Well, I thought Artemis Fowl was going to be stuck in production hell. And here we are. Yay. Aren't you so happy, Aaron? Aren't you just so happy? Um, There's going to be a gun going off and a body falling over just ignore that um uh it'll be at the end of the episode um what do you i I guess for me i feel like usually it's easy to tell which what whether the original or the adaptation is the more timeless classic um but i think i'm gonna have the exact same problem that i did with howl's moving castle the book is very good and the movie is very good but for two entirely completely different reasons and they they take the same main characters and the same main thrust, crux, the climax, as it were. Thrust. Oh my gosh, the same main push, but then deviate in the second half so sharply for a because they introduce a completely different element than was before. And I think the exact same thing happens in Howl's Moving Castle, but I wouldn't say that either one is better than the other because they take entirely different viewpoints on the worlds that they're creating and the characters but they all feel very natural and realistic like it makes sense yes this all makes sense so i don't think i can say that one is better than the other i think that the book is timeless and i think the movie is timeless and i think that's really refreshing to come across an adaptation that does a service that does service the original material well while still being its own thing and very good hmm. i don't know i'm uh I, I obviously I didn't read the book, so I can't tell you one way or the other. But 
I'm just, I enjoyed the movie for what it was. And it's hard sometimes. And I know that once this um, other movie that I just mentioned comes out, that I will have a lot of issues with it because of it's deviating from the book. But it seems to me like there are adaptations of the same story with differences. And then there are taking the same concept and looking at it and saying, you know what? I like this concept, but then I'm not going to use anything that's what what is good about it. Um, and there have been a lot of these movies that have done that. You know, like the, you know, the quote, the book was better is true for a lot of these things. Um, you know, I'm not going to say the say that for this because I can't be the authority on that. You know, maybe it's a little original Star Wars versus Last Jedi. Like, you're both given the same Lego bricks to play with, and you both obviously love playing with Lego bricks, but one of you makes a bridge made out of Technic pieces, and one of you makes a bridge made out of traditional Lego pieces, and they're both uh... very cool, but we you like one more because of the story it's telling versus the complexity of the other, and really what I'm saying is you should all watch Lego Masters on Hulu every <laughs> week because it's so fun. I was going to say, I'm like, that doesn't make much sense. No, no, okay. No, what I'm what I'm saying is that if you you can like both, but I think you like both for entirely different reasons. They're both playing with the same world and the same characters, but they're doing entirely different things with them. And see, I, I like that kind of stuff, but I also like it when people, you know, look in the same world but do different stories. But it feels too. it. Like you can tell right now that Artemis Fowl does not feel like Artemis Fowl because they're messing with the core concepts. They're messing the with the character. The characters too, yeah. yeah. Which with, you can hear on our uh, analysis of just the trailer. Of just so. the trailer, which we spent a whole hour on, if you can believe that. At least when we spend an hour talking about a book versus movie comparison, at least we have over 10 hours of material to pull from. Yeah. So uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, we hope to have uh, more Don Blues uh, coming up uh, shortly, I guess. Um uh, I think we have a fun episode that's coming up right after this one. Uh, whether we release this next week or the week after, will be up to our lovely editor as I look at her uh, with, you know, questioning eyes. <laughs> it's still going to be every other week. If, with our new podcast, still every other week. All right. Well, um, I am, but I am still looking forward to that. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to some... Uh, surprise guests maybe yeah. so some return guests yeah maybe mm. some new guests too mm-hmm. but uh thank you guys so much for listening uh be sure to check out all of our links uh be sure to share like i i said uh at the beginning um all of our um the you know our page and this particular one and if you're a steven universe fan check out keep beach city quarantined so um and we appreciate it and we hope you guys stay safe out there um look out for the live stream we try to post on it and um we love you guys very very much and um you know simply because he said something and if he actually listens to it he'll hear it this is for you garrett I don't know if he'll hear it or not, but... He's been Aaron. She's been Elizabeth. And and we're we're married married to to the idea. idea.